It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, our house in the middle of the street. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Volkbaum. Our other co-host, Joe McCormick, is out today, so we are going it alone. Yep, but, uh, you know, it's all right, because we've done this show without me. We've done uh, an episode, I think, or maybe two without Lauren. Mm -hmm. So really, I mean, we all just take turns. And Joe knows that the future is is strong in our hands. We're going to keep the future going. We're not going to break the future. Yes, we we sadly do not have the mystical axe in the studio, but its presence really has imbued us. Yeah, the mystical axe is really now a metaphor. It's it's the mystical axe that's inside us all. But uh, Joe is the caretaker of the mystical axe. And, yes. and frankly, we didn't want to dig around his desk and find where he keeps it for fear of discovering something we could not unlearn. But today we're going to learn more about something we've already talked about a couple times on this podcast, 3D printing. And the reason we're talking about it again is because folks keep coming up with really cool applications for this stuff. Now, if you've only ever seen a demo of a 3D printer or perhaps have 
manage to work on one in some small capacity, you're probably aware it's it's what we call additive manufacturing, right? It's this process of adding layer upon layer of very thin material to build a three-dimensional object from the ground up. Now, traditionally, plastics are used in these things, but um, but these days, lots of different materials are are being used to create all kinds of different uh, end objects. Yeah, I, I remember that you and Joe talked about uh, printing things like pizza. Yes, which which may or may not have been a success. Uh, less than a total success, but a uh, but but I mean, edible. I mean, something that is relatively nutritious and uh, not completely disgusting. Yeah. Hey, you know. Baby steps, baby steps toward the replicator, my friends. And honestly, if I can cook something that falls into those categories the traditional way, then (laughs) I'm pretty proud of myself. I count it as a win Mm -hmm. myself. Yeah, same here. So the cool thing we wanted to talk about today, a couple of different things, actually. Well, one was something that we talked about in this week's forward thinking video, 3D printed houses. I mean, an entire entire house. house. Yeah. and, And when we're talking about 3D printer, this thing is enormous. If you were to look at it, you would just think this is some really bizarre construction machinery because it's so big. It measures 10 meters wide, which is 33 feet, by 6.6 meters high, which is 22 feet. So 33 feet wide, 22 feet tall. And this thing can print a house. Out of recycled materials, no less. Yeah. Now, specifically, uh, it was a, a company in China near Shanghai that was using this as a demonstration. They printed 10 houses in a single day. And these were you know, relatively small houses. The mm-hmm. material looks very much like concrete. Because it basically is yeah. concrete. But they were able to take runoff, like the stuff that isn't used in other manufacturing processes, And use that, recycle that into actual construction material. So it cuts down on waste, not only by taking this recycled material, but by using this additive uh, uh, manufacturing process. Because like we talked about in previous podcasts, if you're talking about subtractive, that means you take something and then you carve away all the stuff you don't want. Mm -hmm. Right. This is traditional sculpture is a subtractive process where you take a block of whatever material is. So let's say it's marble. And then you cut away all the stuff that doesn't look like David. You know, that's (laughs) the simplistic way of putting it. But 3D printing is additive where you're only adding the stuff you need and you don't add anything that's that's superfluous or unnecessary. So you have less waste. It can also be more structurally sound uh, than than having to worry about how the corners join up because they're built joined up. Right. Now, the the Chinese version I saw, which, by the way, they, they bought that 3D printer from the United States. But uh, the Chinese version I saw, it looked more like they were printing large segments together and then assembling them. But there's another version version that was uh, proposed and built by the University of Southern California that could print an entire house in 24 hours. And it, in fact, is printed. You get the whole house. It's not printed. It's not like you get four walls that you didn't have to put together and then a roof that you have to put on top. It prints the whole thing. Oh, wow. So so it's on some kind of some kind of rail system or yeah. scaffolding. The, three, and... the 3D printer itself is on rails. So imagine two arms, each of which are mounted on a rail. Uh, that are separated by however wide you want the house to be. Huh. So uh-huh. these rails allow the the printer head to move up and down the entire length of where that house is going to be and lay down layer by layer everything in this house. It's pretty phenomenal. Now, granted, this approach also means that you're really just 
creating the foundation, the structures, the walls, the ceiling, that kind of thing, even leaving uh, spaces for things like windows and doors. But you are not printing components that will be necessary that you have to add in later. Things like plumbing or electricity, that's stuff sure. you have to. Yeah, we haven't quite gotten to the point yet. Where well, we can print all of that together. As it turns out, mixing materials within a single project is relatively <clears throat> difficult. It is something that, that we're, as we're going to talk about later on, people are working on. Yes. So it's really cool that this, this approach is being used for multiple reasons. One is just the idea that you could, you could build a house, 10 houses in a day that could be fine for people who have uh, who need low income housing because these houses are also really cheap. One, the houses are, since they're being, uh, created by a, a printer mean that the labor costs are lower and two, the materials costs because it's ma- uh, recycled are lower. So the approximate price of one of these houses is less than $5,000 wow. for a house. Yeah. So you think, all right, print 10 of those in a day. You've got, um, uh, $50,000 worth of houses, which normally $50,000 wouldn't even buy you much of a, of a large house in most major areas in the United States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially here in Atlanta. <laughs> um, if you're living in the city anyway. So it's, it's pretty interesting on those levels. And they also are talking about possibly using something like this to construct the actual levels of a skyscraper. So perhaps Hmm. one day being able to print floor by floor a skyscraper that then gets assembled. It's a really interesting idea. I don't know how far it's going to go, but the idea of being able to do something like this, use computer-assisted design to build your dream home and then print it out is pretty cool. Well, considering that that some segments of the construction industry are are already trying to to use that kind of 3D modeling and um and cheaper labor mm-hmm. through these pre-designed uh, uh custom yeah, custom kinda, fit little bits almost like modules yeah modules right right thank you and additive manufacturing is is really just the next step in all of that right. so sure and and yeah. not having to drag giant pre-built modules around on trucks is also yeah, a boon. You for just have to move the giant, costs. the giant 3D printer to wherever you need to go. Eh. But I mean, even if it, even if this means printing something and then using a, a giant tractor trailer to, to haul it someplace, you're still talking about building a house in a fraction of the time it would take. I mean, uh, anyone who has seen a house being built knows that that tends to be a pretty long process. Yes. So being able to do it in a day, like even the, the, the University of Southern California version, which was a multi room house with multiple floors, they said they could still do it in 24 hours. So 24 hours start to finish, you have a, you have a house. It may not quite be ready to be, to move into, but <laughs> that the, all the structures are built. That is amazing. So it's, it's really cool. But that's, that's just one use of 3D printing that we wanted to cover. There's actually a whole bunch, especially in the medical field. Uh, right. I mean, anything that's on a smaller scale is obviously going to be a little bit easier to deal with. And there are so many opportunities for, for advancements in medicine. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that I wanted to talk about is, is actually a, a pretty simple one in the grand scheme of things, because some of the stuff we're going to talk about tends to be, let's, let's use the word invasive. Huh. Yes. The, 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 in order to take advantage of it, we're talking about things. Some that, kind of surgery. Yeah. This in this case, this is just replacing the good old broken arm or broken leg cast. Like, I don't know. I have never had to wear one. Me I ne- neither. All right. So neither of us have experienced the joy 
of having a plaster cast. But but they but they look they look itchy and unwieldy yeah. and terrible. Right. And they don't allow your skin to breathe or anything like that. I can just imagine just going crazy thinking, I just I just want some air on my skin. And coming out even more pasty and translucent than either of us already are. Which would pretty much mean we'd be completely just, just transparent. Through. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We would go from translucent to transparent. Like those little frogs at the yeah, caves. or or the uh, the invisible woman type uh, uh, model that you could get in school where it would show all the veins. Uh-huh. And, yeah, that would be us. Uh, it's really not far from where we are already. But yeah, so so one way of perhaps going uh, a different route than the plaster cast is to follow the the design of Dina's Karasan, and I have no idea if I pronounced his name correctly, but he's a Turkish designer who cr- created this uh, super cool 3D printed, essentially a plastic cast. Uh, the way it works is you would first have whatever body part needed to have the cast on it completely scanned, 3D scanned. Mm-hmm. So you're getting all the different angles there. The cast is then built specifically to the contours of that limb so it fits nice and snug. It prints into two segments, which then snap together, just like if you've ever put together any kind of plastic toy, you know, that has little pegs and holes, Uh same sort of thing. And instead of it being a solid piece like a plaster cast is, it looks more like a net. So it's got holes that are opened up so that your your skin can breathe. Mm -hmm. You've got that uh, ability to... If an itch hits you, actually scratch it without having to stick some sort of chopstick down the cast and (laughs) hope you can hit the right spot. Uh, And also an interesting idea, although it's somewhat untested, or at least the tests are inconclusive, is to allow using uh, an ultrasonic emitter to put ultrasonic signals into your 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 body to help stimulate bone healing. Right. So there's some studies that suggest this actually works. There are some studies that say that ultrasonic stimulation has a negligible, if any, effect. So the jury is still out on whether or not ultrasonic stimulation is really uh, a benefit. And if it is, if it's a measurable enough benefit to justify the cost. Uh, so there's still some debate on that. But one thing's for sure. If you have a big plaster cast on, you can't really take advantage of it anyway because the ultrasonic frequencies are going to have trouble just penetrating that cast. The plaster to begin with, sure. Right. So if you have a have one that has holes in it where you can actually put the emitter right up against the skin, you get around that. I'll take the being able to scratch an itch thing yeah, even, alone. Even if the ultrasonic ends up ultimately proving to not be a scientifically valid means of helping heal the bone – the comfort factor alone. Plus, these things look kind of kind of badass. They do. They really do. I mean, you know, if you want to go sort of punk fishnetty sort of look, <laughs> and hey, <laughs> I'm punk, but maybe that's that's me. I want I want the fishnets, and they, they can be printed in any color. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, the ones I saw were black, but they also had them printed in white, which mm-hmm. looked nice. Um, I mean, I would probably go hot pink because that's clearly that's, that's my personality. That's what I always think of you. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I'm punk rock, but I like to feel pretty. So yeah, uh, super cool use of it. But then we have some more, I guess you could say, extreme uses of 3D printing. Things for something beyond a broken bone. So for example, prostheses. Right, which we've talked a bunch about before on the show. And uh, and I think that in the last time that we were talking about prostheses, we didn't mention uh, the possibility of 3D printing things specifically for specific people. Yeah. But, but it's become so much 
cheaper and more widespread, so much easier to access. Right. Now, a lot of these prostheses tend to be fairly primitive compared to, say, you know, your top of the line uh, prosthetics. Like there's some prosthetics out there that are fully have, you know, robotic motors and everything in them so that they can respond to uh, either muscle control or some other control mechanism. These that we're talking about here are less um, less sophisticated, but they can still make a dramatic impact on the life of someone who has lost a limb or perhaps was born without, say, fingers. We're going to talk a little bit about a person like that. So this is really cool stuff. I love the idea of of democratizing a technology Right. And getting it into a, a lot more fields where people would not necessarily have the means. Maybe they don't have the money or they don't have the accessibility of getting one of these incredible prosthetics. Of, that of could... seeing a doctor paying for that kind of thing. Exactly. Right. Uh, Project Daniel is a really good example of that. Yeah, this is a came this came from Not Impossible Labs. So uh, so Mike of Not Impossible Labs. He's actually done quite a few videos, uh, including a TED Talk about some of the work he's done with this this group, flew down to Sudan to print a prosthetic arm for a young man named Daniel who had lost both his arms in a bomb blast. I mean, obviously, the Sudan is the the uh, is a region that has just been uh, plagued by war, very violent conflicts for years and years. And there are countless victims of this. Lots of people who have lost uh, uh, one or more limbs. So... He went down and worked with the the people of this little uh, town in the Sudan and uh, brought along a 3D printer, brought brought along spools of the, the material that the 3D printer uses and began to work on building a 3D printed arm for Daniel. Uh, yeah, but not just to, I mean, and that alone is wonderful, of yeah. course, but also to teach the community how to use these tools so that they can continue using it after he and, and the other project leaders had gone back home. Yeah, and they, that's exactly what has happened. The, there's a follow-up that talks about how they have printed, I think, an arm a day. Oh They've goodness. printed limbs to help people. Uh, it gives them a new range of, of motion, gives them freedom. For example, with, with Daniel, they talked about how this allowed him to feed himself for the first time in two years. So that is something we all, uh, most of us, I won't say we all, most of us take for granted. We take this stuff for granted. So to think of someone regaining that kind of agency in their own lives is, is it's really moving. And so we're seeing that being used in places like uh, the Sudan and other places that have very little access to top of the line kind of prosthetics. You know, that gets a lot of attention in the robotics field over in uh, other countries like in the United States. But this is something that could dramatically change a lot of people's lives. Another example. Another really heartwarming story. Yeah, there's a Kansas teenager named Mason Wild who used a 3D printer to make a prosthetic hand for a neighbor of his. So one of his neighbors is uh, this nine year old girl. Yeah, no, no fingers on one hand. Um, and so Mason Wild printed up. He, he designed and worked and uh, he had already built a computer from scratch uh, when he was a little bit younger. So this teenager goes and builds, designs and builds a 3D printed hand. And uh, and and the the girl absolutely adores it. Mm-hmm. And it can do things like it can grip, pick things up. She's able to have a lot more mobility. She was born without these fingers, so it wasn't due to an injury. But now she has um, a, a working hand and she loves it. The neat thing about this 3D printing approach is also that as a person grows, you can print new 
new parts, new, pro- new prostheses. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you you know again, combining the 3D scanning with the 3D printing makes this much easier. Obviously, if you don't have the 3D scanner, it it's a lot more trial and error. Uh-huh, but a little even bit more so, crude, but uh, but but either way, I mean, uh, the idea that a high schooler went and did this for his yeah. elementary school neighbor is just so cute and and indicative of the way that the industry can go. Right. This is very clearly something that is is at a core of a large part of the 3D printer community. Like the 3D printer enthusiasts, the folks who have been behind this technology for the better part of a decade, while most of us were unaware that such a thing could even exist, this is the sort of stuff they've been championing from the very beginning. And now we're seeing the stories come out as the technology has become sophisticated enough to actually make it a reality. Because Mm -hmm. clearly, you know, in the early days, you're talking about resolutions of several uh, microns thick per layer, which means that you couldn't have a really smooth kind of uh, object that you printed on a on a micro level, anything that Mm -hmm. had a lot of moving parts. It was a little complicated. And now we're getting to these sophisticated printers that can print on uh, either a micron thick or even thinner. And that's that just means that you're able to make much more complex uh, materials by by combining all the little things that you've printed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, sophistication and also um, inexpensiveness in, yes. in this case, you know, giving that teenager access to a 3D printer that, that he can yeah, work with. He apparently went to a library and used the library's 3D printer. So, I mean, you think about that. You were He was able to print a hand using a public institution's 3D printer. Uh, this is something that, again, a prosthetic can cost thousands of dollars, depending upon the complexity and, and how it needs to be fitted to the person. I mean, this is a process that usually takes months and months and and thousands of dollars of money that a lot of people just don't have. So mm-hmm. it's pretty phenomenal stuff. Uh, back on the sophistication side, though, um, over in Wales, a man who had been in a motorcycle accident that had affected half of his face has has been printed replacement skull parts. Yeah. Now, this is pretty phenomenal. He broke both cheekbones, had jaw, he lost teeth. I mean, it was it was a terrible injury. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But but they but they were able to scan the healthy side of his head using CT. That's that's computerized tomography in which a, a series of X-rays from many angles are combined to uh, create cross sections of a patient's bones and soft tissue. Um, they they use that to create and print a 3D model of what they wanted to do, including like custom fit surgical guides and then printed titanium implants specified for this dude's face. Which is phenomenal. Yeah, it means that they were able to make his face much more symmetrical than any other means, and that uh, he would end up looking more like his old self. Because, I mean, this is is incredible surgery. I mean, you're talking about replacing a a significant portion of his skull. Yeah, the doctors also said that, you know, that that specificity allowed them to take a lot of the the kind of dangerous guesswork out of out of the surgical work that they were doing. Sure. Because, I mean, if you end up miscalculating and then you're in the process of implanting that and you realize this isn't going to work, then that means you already have to have another surgery down the line. If you're in the middle of an eight hour surgery and it's you're and like, then you realize, oops, oops, this is a millimeter yeah. off. Yeah, that that's terrible. So yeah, this was this is a pretty phenomenal use. And then the next one makes my mind boggle. This this I, it's hard for me to even imagine this idea. So Lauren, why don't you tell me about the equivalent of a 3D printed pacemaker? Okay, this one is a lot more experimental. So so researchers have printed a custom fit electronic membrane. 
that can wrap over a heart and provide the same monitoring and an emergency stimulation that pacemakers can today. Now, Jonathan and I did a whole episode about pacemakers over on our other show, Tech Stuff, mm-hmm. and I meant to go grab the, the the date and episode title, but I did not. So we'll, we'll throw that in with the uh, when we publish this podcast. I'll make sure to, to tweet out and and everything the uh, a link to that so you guys can listen okay. to that one too. So yeah, so so watch for that on social, guys. But um, but but so. I mean, basically what a pacemaker does is if, um, you know, your, your, your heart runs on electrical single signals. Mm-hmm. And if something goes wrong, a sensor can tell and, and give it a little bit of a, of a burst. Yeah. It's like a, ke- like to, a little defibrillator almost to, to re-regulate it, to right, get right, it right. pumping back in, in normal, uh, normal beat. So what these researchers did, they, they scanned a heart and, and we're talking about a rabbit heart that was ex vivo. So, so outside the body and in laboratory conditions. And then they printed this kind of polymer glove that can be integrated with silicon and uh, electronic sensors, all structured in a way that lets them stretch without breaking. This allows the sensors in the device to be in this constant, easy contact with the heart. You know, you, you don't have to, like, staple it onto mm-hmm. the heart or mm-hmm. whatever you use uh, when you're trying to attach things to the heart. Sure. Probably not staples, <laughs> I, I, I imagine, which could allow the device to, to hypothetically be a lot more useful and less traumatic to a body than the comparable technology that's in use today. It is pretty amazing. Thinking of, thinking of it as a, a heart glove that monitors the heart's activity, can respond if the activity is not is not uh, healthy. Uh-huh. Uh, it's and and it's uh, custom fit for you. That's, so it's so. Inc- I, I mean, obviously- I don't have words for how incredible <laughs> this is. I mean, the idea. It's it's so science fictiony that I have a hard time wrapping my mind around it. The idea of scanning an organ inside my body and then printing this thing that would wrap around it and keep it healthier, longer is amazing. I mean, it's it, the the idea of a pacemaker alone makes me kind of <laughs> sit there and, and marvel it's pretty at incredible. science. But yeah. this is this is if this works out, because obviously this is in that experimental stage. And perhaps this will never we'll never see this in this particular implementation. But the work that's being done will surely inform us in other ways that we can't anticipate. So even if this does not ultimately work out to be the future of pacemaker technology, it's really exciting work. Yeah, yeah. Any any one element of it from the from the stretchable electronics to to. Yeah, to well, I mean, just the idea of a a custom made glove that fits on your heart. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, I mean, now for the fashion conscious, I can see uh, where the, 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 the desire is, but that's not what we're talking about here, obviously. And, and obviously it's not just for any normal human person walking yeah, around. This yeah. would be for patients who, who already have some kind of, some kind of trouble or sure. are expected to have some kind of trouble. Now, it's also interesting to me, the, uh, this idea of printing something that has electronics worked into it because any again, anyone who's worked with printers, 3D printers, especially the 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 more primitive ones, they're mostly used to printing like a little uh, figurine made out of this plastic stuff, and not necessarily something that has electronic parts. But we've actually found evidence of of stuff people who are who are printing electronics, like they're printing all the different components of an electronic device and then putting it together. Uh, yeah, and even more than that, people have started creating single additive products that have some of those electronics built right in. Um, uh, there, there's a speaker 
that has come out of Cornell Labs uh, that using using two different printers working on on a single product at different stages, researchers have created a working consumer level speaker uh, the the casing seamlessly integrated with the conductive coils made of silver ink and magnets made of a viscous curable blend of strontium ferrite. And so you hook this thing up with wires to an electronic device and you've got sound. Back in 2009, the same lab used uh, a 3D printer to create a working replica of the telegraph receiver and recorder that Samuel Morse and Alfred Vail used to send the very first Morse code message in 1844. What was the message the same as the first actual Morse code message? What hath God wrought? Uh, uh, Oh, yeah. The the classics never die. (laughs) Uh, you know, I, this is really interesting. I actually watched the video of the speaker, not not the telegraph, but the speaker being built. And then at the very end of it, they actually demonstrate the speaker. They play an audio clip of President Obama talking about 3D printers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little tinny. It's not, it's, the, not, it's not the best speaker. Not the best quality, but the proof of concept. Again, yeah. this idea of being able to print an entire electronic device. They, they made electromagnetic components from... A 3D printer. Yeah. That's crazy. That's that's the really cool stuff. And this is also where we get into the discussion about, you know, this this is a really cool proof of concept. It also illustrates how tricky this is because, you know, I, I th- I'm pretty sure this the speaker approach used two different 3D printers. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they used a single object and transferred it from one printer to the other. Right, right. It's not that, but in, it was in order for them to be but, able to print in these different materials. And that's and that's partially because these materials have, you know, extremely different melting points and different um, re-coagulation points. They're different. They, they have different conductivity. Some are conductive, some are not conductive. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different um, features that, these various materials have that are not necessarily compatible with one another and you don't want to contaminate one mm-hmm. with another. So, for example, if you want to print in a conductive material, this is something that's going to conduct electricity. It's going to be a, a primary component of your electronic device. You do not want that to get contaminated with non-conductive material. You don't want plastic mixed in with that. It's going to inhibit any kind of electricity flow. So, you know, using the exact same device to print all the stuff on, you have to make sure you're really good about uh, designing it so that you're not going to have any sort of waste material left over at the end of the pr- the plastic printing section mm-hmm. before you move on to, say, the silver printing section. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. You wouldn't want any silver still kicking around in there when you start printing the plastics that are supposed to be insulating whatever you're doing. Right, exactly. So th- these are things that people are working on. We have we have we have top scientists top, working on this. Top people. Yeah, they're the very top. I want to say top men every single time. But it's it's not right. No, it's so not wrong. right. It's not right. I mean, it's, it's the right okay. quote. It is. But it's not okay. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's really cool. I mean, how do you do this without having that sort of corruption involved in the actual printer? This is how uh, these are the problems that people are lo- working on now to make these things even more precise and useful. And people are working on them. Um, there was a Kickstarter-funded project that lets you print circuits in the form of layers of silver nanoparticles onto basically whatever you want. Um, you know, be that plastics or ceramics or glass or wood or fabric or paper. Right. You could actually design a circuit, you know, a working circuit to do whatever it is you want it to do and then print it on one of these materials there's, the implications are endless. I mean, you could do anything with this. Like circuits are, are very basic 
components of electronics. And once you understand how they work, then you're really only limited by how small can you make the circuit, mm-hmm. right? Because that's one thing that with a microprocessor, obviously, we're talking about stuff on the nanoscale, which is something that 3D printers can't do yet. They can't get down to that scale. So it's not like you're going to print the next amazing microprocessor that's going to power the next supercomputer. But you could print some awesome circuits that let you do some really creative things and redefine what we think of when we say the word electronics. And and you could print your own circuits at home. I mean, that's the really interesting part of this is that someone who is getting started in electronics and, you know, understands a little bit about how to make a printed circuit board or even doesn't understand that much about it could take this equipment and use it to start playing in that arena. Yeah, to me, it uh, really... Uh, excites me in the realm of cosplay. <laughs> Being able to print circuits onto costume pieces. Working circuits. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to think about all the wires you don't have to worry about anymore. Like I'm thinking like, you know, Daft Punk style helmets where when you put the helmet on, you aren't immediately bathed with wires all over your face. <laughs> my my mind is blown. I'm only I'm, <laughs> my entire brain is stuttering right now. Yeah. OK, even even cooler than this. And this is pretty cool. Uh, there, there are some people who are working on integrated circuits from 3D printers. Uh, a, a team out of Stanford designed a 3D printer attachment that can let you integrate circuitry into a piece as you print it. It's, it's like a second printer head. They're calling it the Rabbit Proto, um, and it's for RepRap machines, which are already designed to work with really strong, high-temperature polymers like acrylonitrile butadiene styrene, or ABS, which is the stuff, uh, for example, that, that most of the components of that 3D-printed gun that made headlines a while back yeah. was made of. Also, like, Lego bricks. Yeah, Lego bricks, that's ABS material, as I learned on Current Geek when they quizzed me about it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's... That's that's like a, a a primary component in a lot of different stuff. And the idea of an integrated circuit where you're printing the circuit inside the object itself so it's all incorporated together is is incredible. In in an early demo, they printed out these puzzle pieces that had circuits running through them so that when you put the puzzle together, it, it would completes the circuit. Yeah. So let's say you have a battery on one side and a light on the other. And you when you finish putting the puzzle together, the, the light bulb lights up because you've completed the circuit. That's really cool. This is even cooler for cosplay than the other one. <laughs> so the other one, you would print a circuit on top of something, which, you know, granted, you could if you damage the circuit, then you would break it possibly. So this way you could have a incorporated in the costume piece itself. I'm thinking, uh, yeah, Tron costumes. I'm thinking uh, Halo. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So many choices. Other than costuming, it could probably have many useful applications for industry. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. There there are practical applications, obviously, but those aren't important to me. And and um, to be fair, I don't really see uh, what is more practical than a, than a Master Chief suit. Yeah, no. So... No so Spart- Spartan Armor is where it's at. Uh, but so so this is an open source project and the students are looking to create a startup once they graduate this year. Um, it, this is all designed by students. I don't think that I mentioned at the top of this paragraph. This is students at Stanford, like right. grad students. That's incredible, too. Um, so they're, they're already accepting pre-orders for the Rabbit Proto, ranging from a um, single syringe for like $350. $350 to a replace one of your your own printer heads piece for $450 to a fully integrated printer for only $2,500. Only $2,500. Now, I know that and I my, say, I mean, that's a big chunk of change for me. That's like more than my lunch. But yeah, but still, when you're talking about 3D printers, it was not that long ago that $2,500 was outside the realm of any 3D printer. 
let alone one that could print an integrated circuit. So it really just shows how far along this this technology has come. Also, when you think about it, and you know, I made some jokes about cosplay and everything, though I am legitimately excited by that. It's, it's actually true. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, but but one of the things that this this could potentially lead to is the idea that's been around ever since people have started talking about 3D printers, which is to use a 3D printer to print another 3D printer. Mm-hmm. So that once you have something that is capable of printing in all the materials you need for a basic 3D printer, that's it. And, want... the, and the RepRap is almost there. It's yeah. it's able to print most of itself right. already. And so once we get to the point where we're able to do the whole thing, really all you need is for a group of friends to get together and say, all right, we're going to pull our money. We're going to buy one of these. Mm-hmm. We're going to buy the the raw materials we need. Then we print them out for everybody. And now we all have one. So for the price of one printer, we're able to buy unlimited number of printers. Eternal printers, infinity printers. Yeah. It's just that you then have to make sure you still have some money because you can have to buy the raw materials. But other than that, you're good. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so all of this has been, you know, even if experimental, definitely within the realm of reality that is happening today. Let's talk about the weird stuff. Okay. You sent me a link to a regenerative running shoe, so I thought I would look this thing up. And uh, talk about wackadoodle crazy. <laughs> All right, so I know what you're thinking, right, Lauren? I mean, uh, uh, I'm I'm okay about shoes, but I, I'm a typical guy in that uh, when I find a pair of shoes I like, I just want to wear those shoes. Forever. Forever. Eternal I shoes. Don't need to ever buy a, a different type of shoe, except for the fact that shoe manufacturers often without any regard for my sanity, will stop producing a certain type of shoe, forcing me to go out and buy a different type of shoe once my shoes have worn out, which they do. I could show Lauren the bottom of my shoe right now. It has a hole in it. The shoe I am wearing needs to be replaced. However, I stopped making this type of shoe, so I am already going through this existential crisis. Anyway, what if you had a shoe that was made out of a material that could actually repair itself after you had finished wearing it. You put it up at the end of the day and it repairs itself. It heals. It actually doesn't just repair. It heals itself so that you can then wear it again the next day and just wear it until you get tired of these shoes. And not only that, it's 3D printed, perfectly molded to your foot. So it's a perfect fit. That's incredible, right? That That is, in fact, literally incredible. What if I also told you <laughs> that it was made out of biosynthetic material called protocells that themselves are not living, so it's not like you're putting on a, a shoe life form on your feet. However, it works with your, your, your actual skin to create this kind of symbiotic relationship where when you're running around, it it can inflate or deflate and thus cushion your foot or uh, remove that cushioning if you don't need it. And then at so the end of the day... So perfect your stride in yeah, order... Yeah. Uh-huh. Like like those little finger toe shoes yeah, that, yeah. That, that my wife despises because she thinks they're creepy. Uh, sort of like that, except actually printed straight for your foot. You peel those off at the end of the day. I'm sure it makes a pleasant sound. And then you put them into a little back-to-container-like thing, like you would have seen in Empire Strikes Back, where Luke has lost his hand, and he's been put in there, and he's healing up. Anyway, it's the same sort of thing. You put it in there, it's got this living protocell-type fluid inside of it, which actually works to heal the shoe at the end of the day. 
I'm not sure sure whether I'm impressed or creeped out at this juncture. It sounds like it's probably the most amazingly disgusting <laughs> type of shoe. I would put this, them on. This sounds like some Cronenberg stuff. I'm not sure that I'm yeah. comfortable with uh with life fluid regenerating my shoes at the end of the day. It is I don't, pretty weird. I don't know if I want my shoes to be a potentially living organism. According to the article, which we it was in The Verge, by the way, we'll we'll link out to the article as well. Um, according to the article. The the goo that you would put these shoes in at the end of the day could be dyed any color, which would then make your shoes that color. So, oh, could, that's that's good. You know, choose what color. I wouldn't want living my shoes. You want living protocell organisms to you know dye my shoes whatever color they wanted. No, you want to be strict on that kind of thing. You give them an inch, they'll walk all over you. Uh, yeah, this is something that um is both incredible and creepy somehow at the same time. Uh, I mean, they're not actually living, obviously. It's not that we've created some sort of life form. And also, this is not something that's going to be coming out in stores anytime soon. In fact, uh, uh, no, no. The projection was by 2050, which who knows, by then, maybe we have reached a point with the singularity where we don't need feet anymore. So it might be a moot point. Yeah, and this this whole project was was done for the Wearable Futures conference, and yeah. so you know it, it wasn't an extremely serious like like top people are working on this. No, this is more of a kind of thinking outside the box. What what is in the realm of possibility? And but again, it would have been a three D printed uh, shoe. So really, another wonderful thing about three D printing is this idea we mentioned it at the very beginning of this podcast of being able to tailor make something specifically for a person and no two people are alike. This is another thing that the prosthetic approach is, is very promising. If you're able to get very specific measurements uh, incorporated into the design, you can build a prosthetic that's going to work for one person really, really well. And then when the next person comes along, you tweak some things and you make one that works for them. Uh, you're not using a, a one size fits all kind of approach, which obviously would not work great for anybody. That's mm-hmm. that's not that's like the worst of all worlds. This is the opposite of that. So it's really exciting stuff. And again, we're just scratching the surface with the sort of things that 3D printing is going to be able to do. I mean, we still have people who are genuinely concerned that 3D printing is going to really disrupt a lot of businesses like like furniture stores where you're able to print the equivalent of something that you would find at, say, Ikea. Whatever fancy chair you like. Yeah. We're still a ways away from that. But that's that's in a lot of minds. There's some thought of trying to make that uh, into a virtual store where you would go to a virtual store, buy the plans for whatever piece of furniture you happen to like, and then print it at home. Uh, or you would send that to, if you don't have a printer at home, you might send it to a facility near you. A local designer printer. Yeah, yeah. it could be a small business that just has a bunch of different bays of printers. And all those printers are being used to build stuff on spec from customers. Like that's a perfectly workable business model mm-hmm. that is probably just a few years away. And and even even if for some reason all of this is just a fad, the idea of 3D printers in all of our homes making all of our stuff is mm-hmm. never going to happen. Uh, the, these kind of medical capacities and and you know 
skull replacement parts right. and, and bone replacements and, and or, or grafting new bone onto your existing bone with a 3D printing bone pen, that kind of stuff is is absolutely going to change our world. It's already changing lives right now. It's just going to continue to do so. So that is incredible stuff. Well, if you have any questions about what we just talked about, or maybe you've got a suggestion for a topic we should tackle in an, another episode of Forward Thinking, let us know. Send us a message. Our email address is fwthinking at discovery.com. And then you can uh, let us know on Twitter or Facebook or Google Plus. Our handle at all three is FWThinking. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit ForwardThinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.